Today I want to take our meditation to Romans chapter 7. In these middle chapters of Romans, Paul is unfolding in a very meticulous way, teaching about the believer's justification by faith and living a new life in the Spirit. His treatment of these subjects are protracted. They're not summarized as in other epistles. They're dealt with in exquisite detail, and it takes a lot to follow Paul through these particular chapters. He uses several illustrations to clarify some aspect of our union with God in Christ. So for example, at the end of Romans chapter 6, he takes an illustration from slavery to teach us a lesson about the gospel. At the beginning of chapter seven, he transitions into marriage. And then in chapter eight, he draws a lesson from adoption. Well, for today's meditation time, prior to prayer, I'd like to focus on the illustration of marriage that's found at the beginning of Romans chapter seven. And think together about the Christian's marriage to two husbands. Let's read together in Romans 7 and the first six verses. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For... Okay, now Paul says for and introduces an illustration and says, consider this to explain what I've just uh, put out there. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, She will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So understand, firstly, that this passage is not primarily meant by Paul to be a teaching about marriage, adultery, and divorce. But Paul is merely using the common social reality of marriage law at that time as an illustration to teach us something about the gospel. So there's a parable here, right? You noticed in these verses, there's a parable about a woman who experiences two marriages to two husbands. So in this parable, the woman is the church or the believer. And her first marriage is to one 
named Mr. Law. In this relationship, she's living in the flesh, Paul says. She's exerting all her effort to achieve righteousness in servitude to him. But much to the contrary, rather than producing holiness, Mr. Law only aroused sin all the more. That's just the kind of husband that he is. And the children that are born out of this marriage, the children are just like their father. Uh, they are fruit for death, Paul says. And in all this, though the woman may want to leave, she can't. She's captive in that marriage. She can't get out. She is not released to leave. That's the law of marriage. But then a death occurs. And just as it was in marital law, if one spouse dies, suddenly the other spouse is free to leave and marry another. The spouse is released from the first marriage. But in this case, as the spiritual teaching goes, Paul says, it's the woman who dies. The woman dies to Mr. Law. Not a natural death, but a spiritual death through the body of Christ, he says. What does that mean? Well, it means that as Christ himself died, we may participate in that death as if it were our own by being united with Christ. And if she does that, she's completely freed from that first bond because she's died. And if she's united with Christ in his death, well, she also rises anew with him in his resurrection. But when she rises again, she now rises to a new marriage. The first one is done and ended. Her second marriage, she now belongs to Master Christ. No longer Mr. Law, but a new husband, Christ. Paul writes, she no longer serves the first husband by effort, but in the new way of the spirit, he writes, that is with a life that's not her own, but it's given to her from above. This marriage, it also bears children, but not deathly works of the law, but fruit for God. I fear that so many Christians live nowadays in some sort of weird gray zone between law and Christ. One day, uh, we affirm the doctrines of grace while we're sitting in the pew, perhaps, I think many of us here, maybe even when we're standing in the pulpit. With regards to our own sin, we cry freely, grace, grace, give me grace. I'm covered under the blood of Christ. But then another day dawns and we find, well, we're doing pretty well. We stand to gain credit by our behavior and all of a sudden we want merit. Or maybe on that day, we're the offended one. Someone else has sinned against us, and all of a sudden, we want law. We want law for the offender. Penance. 
earned forgiveness. I want to measure things myself by the law, but I want to be measured by Christ. But see, you can't have it both ways. The Lord taught us by the measure that you use to measure others, so it shall be measured unto you. So which one do you want? You can't be married to both husbands at the same time. Paul says that is adultery. And that's the point of this illustration. Not about law, but grace. Not bearing death, but bearing life. Not by effort, but by union. See? The manifestation of that union is the distinctive of revival. Because you read the history books and you read the scriptures, whenever God pours his spirit out upon an individual or a group, our union with Christ becomes the starkest reality of existence. It, it, it floats to the top of our mind and our experience. So let us seek that together now in our time of prayer. And I hope that this meditation serves for us a platform to stand on from which to pray. Amen.